Hi, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, Praying by Kesha is the official anthem of 2018. Following Iceland's landmark decision, the United States and Canada make equal pay for equal work the law of the land. And women don't need permission to follow their dreams. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Beaver Talk. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) We are so excited. We have Katie Hurwich in the Beaver Dam this morning. Yeah. And uh, we're so excited to chat with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is the perfect way to spend my weekend. Yeah, we're so excited to get into all of the things. Um, Diana and I are such big want podcast fans, Women Against Negative Self-Talk. And I think we wanted to have you on really because there's so much we want to talk to you about specifically. But I think the way that you kind of meld your work in an activist space, I find to be really admiring. Thank you so much. And I like that you're... The mantra that you have, obviously, you know, to have women kind of be thoughtful about the messages that they send themselves. Um, But there's like an active approach to it. It's Mm -hmm. not like, you know, we're going to sit and we're going to ruminate. I think you're really good about like bringing people together and talking about things and moving things forward. And um, so we're so excited to have you you part of the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And Diana's here too. (laughs) (laughs) We're all, we're all very talky women. So we take up a lot of space. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're all here. Um, Katie, before we kind of go into your story and your history and stuff, I want to know what you're listening to, what you're watching. Um, what have been the kind of shows or pieces of media that you've been kind of getting into lately? Just finished watching Glow, which was fantastic. It was not what I was expecting in Mm. the very best way. I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I sort of go into watching, uh, whether it's TV or movies or even listening to music that's got a lot of hype around it. Mm -hmm. I go in with a little bit of a... I guess like a cynic sitting on my corner of like... uh, On my shoulder of like, oh, well... Don't get your hopes up too much. You know, if something's talked up a lot, there's a lot of expectation. Um, And I watched it and I thought it was so brilliant for so many reasons. So just finished watching that. Um marathoning will and grace so that i can get to the new ones mm, excellent not watch the new ones yet my husband has never seen will and grace so mm. we decided to start at the very beginning cool um uh, what am i listening to well i teach spin classes actually intercycling classes so i listen to a lot of music mm-hmm. on the regular i always want to keep it fresh it's I always, such an important part of a spin class i went oh to my, my first gosh, spin yes. class in buffalo uh-huh. and with love the man that ran the class picked like green day and like just like the weirdest music of all time and i was like i don't i'm not i want so badly to like emotionally connect in this room and i cannot with this music yeah it was really hard to my class i was gonna say yeah yeah when i first moved to new york uh katie and i we hung out like Basically, right after I moved here, oh, we yeah. went for dinner. And I was like, oh my gosh, I literally just went through this. If you need any advice, if you need someone to just listen who knows on an emotional level what exactly, like, 
goes on right now in New York. <laughs> like, I am here for you. And she came to my class. So yeah. fun. Yeah, which that offering would have been, like, one thing. And I was like, okay, yeah, totally. I'll hit you up. And then when we all got to New York, you were like, so, yeah, like, I meant it. Like, let's like, come together and let's talk about <laughs> yeah. what we're going through. And I was like, okay. And we went to dinner and we I went to your spin classes and you played Beyonce. I play a lot of you played free, You played Freedom at, like, yes. this very pivotal moment in the class. Do you guys just, like, cry in the class? I do. Um, do people cry? Yeah, I once heard an instructor <laughs> say that if you have never cried in a spin class, you mm-hmm. really haven't done it right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There, you definitely want to, I mean, I shouldn't generalize. Never mind. Backpedal. I always want to create not just a class, but an experience for people. And really that applies to whatever I do, whether I'm writing a piece Mm -hmm. or I'm recording a podcast or I'm speaking in front of people. I want it to have a clear arc. I want there to be ups and downs. I want there to be an intro. I want there to be emotional levels that Mm. you go to uh, go through. I want to let people go on a journey. Mm -hmm. So with a class, I do play a lot of Beyonce because I love Beyonce. There's nothing um, wrong with you that. You don't need to explain no, why you play I played, Beyonce. I was really bold today. I played Formation, a remix by a female DJ, which I love. I love supporting female DJs. Cool. Um, it was it was censored, so that was that was. Do you good. have your playlists on like Spotify or something? Can people find them? Um, that's a great question. They are not on Spotify because I've had problems with Spotify and mm. my playlists in the past. But what I've started to do is take screenshots because I go old school and I use iTunes. Mm-hmm. I take screenshots and now I post them in my Instagram stories. And if you go to at Katie Horwich, one of those little bubbles where mm-hmm. you can save the gotcha. stories. It says playlist. Cool. And I have them on there. Oh wow! But I love um, Robin. I love uh, I love Jenny Lewis. Mm-hmm. I We're all, Diana and I are nodding. We're people. just like yeah. our heads are going to literally nod off our bodies. Like in this all of, basically all of the strong badass female musicians that you would expect. Um, I also love Drake, mm-hmm. and I love hip hop. Royksop. We were talking about NPR before we um, started recording, and I am from LA and there's a station out there called KCRW, which is owned by NPR. And they played all of the, they play all of the new independent music. They're fantastic. Um, And that's actually one of the things I miss most about LA is just being so tuned in all the time to the new music. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. How are you faring in the weather here, LA girl? You know what? It's really not that bad. I think that last year, so I moved here spring 2016 and it was absolutely beautiful. We had a really mild winter. My parents gave my husband and I like these jackets and mittens and we were like, great, wonderful. We didn't even end up using half of it Mm -hmm. last winter. And so we thought that maybe there was a little bit of hype around the (laughs) New York winter, sort of like how I thought there was like a hype around glow. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, it's really not that good. Oh, it's really not that bad. Um, It's really, really cold outside and I'm using all of the things now. Mm -hmm. And I've just learned that you end up spending a little more money on lifts. I don't use Uber because Mm of... Sure uber things um (laughs) you end up spending a little more money on lyft uh you end up staying a little bit closer to home Mm -hmm. but i'm actually loving having seasons it's nice to be able to appreciate the beautiful weather and the nice weather when it's there instead of just having all of the same because you don't appreciate it 
I agree. I think it's really nice to have a season. Yeah. It kind of gives you a pause and it kind of gives you like you feel like you're moving forward in the year. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're in one season, it kind of just feels like one long totally. space. Well, and if we think about ourselves and our bodies, like we are always in flux. Like we literally have a monthly flow where mm-hmm. our hormones change, our energy changes, everything changes. You kind of feel a little crazy when the weather and the surroundings around you are all the same. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, strangely confidence boosting to have actual weather. Interesting. I've yeah. never thought about it. Like yeah, that. it's I like everything it. flows and everything changes, including us. Like mm-hmm. we're no different than the weather and the plants and the animals. So. Yeah. It's nice to see the change as well as feel change. Was there um, like a defining show or film that you watched as like a young woman that you like really took to heart or that really affected you or where you are now, do you think? Um, I think that the most defining show for me as a kid was Clarissa Explains It All. Mm-hmm. And I would walk around and sort of narrate the world around me in my head, a la Clarissa. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember one day I was in the parking lot of the grocery store with my mom and I was doing it and I was like, you know, obviously in my head, not out loud. And I remember stopping and thinking, do other people do this? Like, is it as loud in everybody else's head as it is in mine? Because it's a, it's a rager mm-hmm. in there all the time, <laughs> 24-7, which is, I think, why I am able to be an extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. But I am an introvert. Like, there's so much going on in here that I don't need a lot out here to stimulate me. Mm-hmm. But the way that those episodes flowed the way that she talked to the audience the way that she narrated the world around her and she was so perceptive that was a really big show for me Mm -hmm. did you watch that diana i didn't but that makes knowing you and knowing what you do in this world that makes absolute total 100 percent sense so that's your homework i feel like you need to watch it yeah absolutely maybe we didn't get it in the canada i was gonna say might have been one of those she had an alligator named elvis didn't make it over the border Mm -hmm. She sounds fabulous. She was fantastic. Wow. It was really great. Yeah. I feel like every girl wanted to be Clarissa in some way. For sure. Yeah. yeah and her little brother cool. Ferguson. Always bugging her. Always bugging her. Always Ferguson. And Sam it. would climb up the window. <laughs> and there would always be music. She'd go, hi, Sam. And it'd be like, wow, wow. There was like a guitar <laughs> rift or something. It wasn't like a just sad like this, music. No, though. it was like this like skater dude, like little kid with with um like Jinko. Is that yeah. the J- yeah Jin- Jinko J N C O jeans like those big wide jeans with the big uh, cargo it. pockets? Like he would just like climb up the window and just hang out with her in her room. Thank there you. There we Ken. go. Thank you. <laughs> The power of production, everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Clarissa Explains It All, I think, was a really, really important one for me. Sal and I did a deep dive and watched, like, a bunch of um, uh, Family Matters and, like, Full House. Like, Hulu just got, like, a regeneration of all of those. So I'm sure Clarissa can't be far off for them having it on that space in some capacity. Well, I think that I read somewhere that Nickelodeon, if they haven't already, they're launching a channel or a 
you know, whatever they call them now. Platform. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that is all of the retro Nickelodeon that would be 80s and 90s shows. So Roundhouse, all that, Ren and Stimpy, yeah. What was the other one with the Astro, Craig? You know, like the game oh, shows? Guts. Guts. Was that it? Mm-hmm. I think it wasn't there another one. There was Guts. Where they have to, like, climb up the mountain. Is that Guts? Guts, right? Kent is, is nodding. The Agro Craig. The Agro Craig. Isn't, what's the, there's, like, another one, too, with the slime. Was that the same one? Slime was, was What Would You Do or Double Dare. Did you get And then there was Legends one? of the Hidden Temple. With yes, you, that's they had to put together of. the monkey. Yes, yes. And I couldn't put together the monkey. I was about to say a bad word. Or, you can swear. They couldn't put <laughs> together haven't... the fucking monkey. It's three parts. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but people would, like, jump out at them. That's true. There were obstacles, Katie. Yeah, it was basically <laughs> they like were when, 12. <laughs> <laughs> when Ellen plays games at the top of her show, it was like a whole show of just those, which now Ellen is launching called uh, Game of Games. I know. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know either. But we'll see. I'm willing to give it a chance. I mean, I she just doesn't look happy in the promo. And it's like, what's she doing? What does she need money for? Where yeah. are we at right now? Mm-hmm. We made some bad financial decisions and now she has to do like a show. Well, maybe someone pitched it to her and she was like, you know what? Let's try it out. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. And I feel like they're always trying to like have a who wants to be a millionaire like take off show. She's yeah. getting into like a weird Steve Harvey space for me and I'm not with it. Mm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> craziness steve harvey that really just threw my brain for I a know, that was a big one that was yeah. a bomb drop sorry <laughs> um so katie going back to like want and the work mm-hmm. that you do um i don't i feel like i want our the intention for our space to kind of be like where you're at now and i have a bunch of questions about like some of the stuff that you recently talked about on the podcast um but i would like to give for betty's who don't know kind of just like a brief summary of kind of what your intention is with doing it and kind of how it became and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, I'll give the Cliff's Notes version here. So Want gives women tips, tools, along with motivation and inspiration to shift around their self-talk patterns. And it is a platform that lives in uh, editorial. So there's womenagainstnegativetalk.com and that's where most of my writing lives, uh, profiles on other women, you, Erin, included on there. Uh, there is a podcast called The Wantcast, which you've also been on. And there's been a lot of Dream Girl on Want. It's been pretty awesome. And then- We appreciate it. Oh, well, <laughs> I appreciate you being on. And then I speak, I do workshops, I do keynotes, and that's what I- honestly love doing the most. I love meeting the community and I love seeing people take the pillars of want out into their communities. Cause my philosophy is I can, I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist. I am only one person, but I have a lot of experience and I've spent a lot of time studying women and why we do the things we do why we speak about ourselves the way we do. And my goal is to present you with that information, maybe give you some tips and tools, insight that you didn't have before, some ideas on how you can move forward in your life. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, that's totally cool too. But I really think that 
there needs to be more options for people to what I call move forward fearlessly and be be the version of themselves that they know that they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, WAND actually started years and years and years ago. The catalyst was it, for it was uh, the Dove Real Bodies commercials. So when those first started in, I believe, 2007, and that was really the first mainstream, uh, I'm using air quotes here, body positive campaign. Mm-hmm. People can say what they will about that first ad. There's a little bit of controversy about it, about how much representation they really did show. I thought at the time as a 21-year-old who had battled with negative self-talk her entire life, and it really came to a head in college when I developed an eating disorder called orthorexia, which really wasn't about the food. It was about the control. Mm -hmm. It was about trying to be what I felt was... Uh, an adult woman in the world. And so I had just come out of this state of being orthorexic. I saw this commercial and I thought two things. A, this is amazing. And B, this commercial is telling me, love yourself, you're beautiful, you're smart. But where are the tips and tools and steps for me to get to that place? Because Mm -hmm. I know mantras work for some people. For me, I can't look into the mirror. I've, I've never been this way. I'm not one of those people who can look in the mirror and say, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're amazing. And then all of a sudden I believe it. Like it's not just a switch that I can flip. And I looked around and there really wasn't anything that was giving women steps that were also very uh, situation specific. So mm-hmm. not just related to your body, but related to work and relationships on how to not stop your negative self-talk, but shift it. So I'm not interested in stopping it. My philosophy is that negative self-talk, just self-talk in general, like we talked about, it ebbs and it flows. And we're never going to just speak positively about ourselves all of the time. Mm -hmm. That's not how humans work. But if we can use what we say as information instead of fact, then that changes the entire game. So how can we take the information, sort it out, and be proactive, not reactive with it? And that's the space that WANT really started in and what I've really wanted to carry with me as it's grown and it's seen many incarnations. Um, Yeah, that's the Cliff Notes version. (laughs) (laughs) Something you said that was, I thought was really interesting is like what, when you were kind of struggling in college, what did you think being an adult woman meant? Like what was the ideal or what were you kind of struggling to figure out just out of curiosity. Yeah, I think that a lot of people and young women in general, when they go to college, it's the very first time that most of us are on our own and we are creating our own schedules. We're the only ones who are responsible for our lives. Um, And I got to college and for me, I was sort of thrown for a loop by that. I was always very independent But I realized that my interpretation of the college experience wasn't what people I was meeting wanted the college experience to be. So like people were into partying and drinking and just being uber, uber, uber social. Mm -hmm. For me, I went to school for musical theater and I chose the school that I did because of I went to UC Irvine 
They're uh, the Anteaters, by the way. <laughs> Best mascot, most Excellent. fierce mascot ever. And I chose the school because their program was so stellar. And right away, I started to get into shows, which caused a little bit of friction with uh, some people who were also freshmen, because I was one of the only freshmen to get cast in mm -hmm. things. Um, and I, I went for the program. So when I realized that I wasn't like the other people that I was surrounded by and the options that felt like needed, they needed to be my options of the partying, of the being super social, of eh, skipping class, whatever. Mm. I was basically a 17 year old trapped in a 37 year with a 37 year old mind. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wasn't interested in that. You didn't find your tribe. I did not find my tribe, at least not right away. I found certain people who I resonated with, and they're still some of my very, very closest friends. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt very alone. I felt very different. And for me, I didn't want to necessarily be like a college kid. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a professional musical theater actor in the world and I was like okay this is this is my training this is what's going to get me there mm -hmm. so the combination of just a very new environment um, which can make anybody feel a little bit nuts combined with the fact that I really did not feel like I fit in I felt back on and I wasn't feeling very comfortable in my body so I think that a lot of times when we talk about body image and things that we're unhappy about with our body, it doesn't actually have anything to do with our bodies. Totally. And that's something I talk about a lot on want. Like if you say you hate your thighs, okay, do you really hate your thighs? Or is there something else going on and you just walk around with your body every day? So it's really easy to pin all of that loathing on that instead of the thing that is going to take a lot more work to mm -hmm. uh, sift through. Well, I think to your point about like the Dove ad, like I stopped reading magazines in college. Mm -hmm. Like I started noticing that like they were making me feel bad. And mm -hmm. so I just, I think the media that we consume and that we, you know, make a part of our daily routine is, can be really damaging. And I totally. think when people are, you know, I saw something on Instagram the other day that was like, if this, if an account is making you feel bad, then you should unfollow it. And yeah. I think we have to be really sensitive, especially as women. We get so many messages of what we should look like and how we should be, um, that it is really important. Diana, you were kind of nodding your head. Did you have a similar college yeah. space? Um, no, but I really struggled with it when I was in dance because I danced mm. when I was, mm -hmm. I started when I was in grade three and I went up to grade 12 and I was five feet taller than everyone, and I was not the ballerina body, and I mean, 0.2% of the population is, but it was still something I was very aware of. And what made me sad about it is I wasn't aware of it till I was like in grade nine. And Wait, why were you, you were sad that you weren't aware of your yeah, body? Yeah, because I, I just loved dancing. I did it because I loved it. So you were sad it. It was after like, the fact. I was sad that I wasn't aware of it, and then I was sad that I became aware of it. Because oh, I, it's like- that joy that I had where it just didn't even matter to mm -hmm. me at all was, was gone. gone. Oh, yeah. Oof. And it suddenly became all I thought about. And I I just really I, – and I was obsessed with popular culture, so I was always looking at images of the mm -hmm. female body and what, what we're told we should be. And it was a lot. It was a lot to sift through. And um, I just remember it being a very – crazy time yeah and with dance you can't escape it because you're literally looking at yourself in the mirror 
all the time. Yeah. 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 It's very intense. Yeah. I was, I was in those dance classes in college also. It was just like the perfect storm. <laughs> and one of my uh, mentors slash BFF who doesn't know she's my BFF yet. Her name is Glennon Doyle. Um, <laughs> she says that uh, when, that the culture around us makes us, uh, makes girls either one of two things. You either get sick or you get angry. And I, like many young women, I got sick. Hmm. And then later I got angry. Yeah. And now I'm just proactive. <laughs> I'm fired up. Yeah, I love I saw um her speak at the Super Soul sessions last year. Oh, I love her so much. Um and she had some really interesting commentary on like how women are so in tune with their emotions and men are physically are gendered to be physically um, to express their emotions physically and women are conditioned to express their emotions emotionally. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of at this disconnect sometimes in our partnerships with how we're talking and communicating and showing our love languages, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an unpopular, I, I have not struggled with a lot of body issues. Awesome. Um, which is something that I don't know who to give credit to probably my mother, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I remember being in high school, there was a group of girls who were really fixated on that kind like their body and how, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm going to go in a different direction. That's awesome that you were so aware of that. Yeah. I don't know why I was. Um, but also I think going to an all girl school where I didn't have to wear makeup and Mm -hmm. I didn't have to iron my skirt and I looked like a garbage person every day and nobody cared and it wasn't part of the way I was valued. Or yeah. like what I was bringing to the, I think that was really game changing for me because mm-hmm. I didn't have to, we, I mean, we so walk through the world presenting ourselves. Um, and I think in an educational space, going through like high school and not having that pressure was probably very transformative. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, so I grew up in LA, which, you know, a lot of the stereotypes of LA are not true. But there are a few <laughs> that are like, it is a very image focus city. Mm-hmm. Um, and my entire family is from LA and pretty much everybody still lives there right now. And I think that I growing up, you know, it was, it was the eighties. It was the early nineties. This wasn't really a conversation that was happening in the mainstream, unless you were really tapped into those circles that it's not the most constructive thing to just be complimenting young girls on the way that they look saying, Oh, you're so pretty. You're so pretty. Because then they start to equate Mm -hmm. their value with the way that I look. I, and, and sometimes I, I've really worked to, to not struggle saying this because the ego devil on my shoulder in me starts to say, Oh, well, you know, that's self-centered and that's full of it. And that's vain. I got a lot of compliments on being pretty and being talented and being smart. And um, those three, I, I, I was told I was those things, but I also was told that I was not allowed to think those things myself. So it was very confusing. Oh, that's interesting. It was very confusing. And so you weren't allowed to like hold that space for yourself totally. as like a place of pride mm-hmm. or like totally. love. Exactly. Like if I looked at my, if I, 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 one of my very first memories is when I was in preschool, 
uh, the Little Mermaid had come out and, you know, in preschool they have those big bulletin boards that they put all of the kids' art on mm-hmm. and the teacher decorates the per- the perimeters yeah. of the bulletin board with flowers or art or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was like an under the sea theme. And my teachers knew that I loved to draw and that I was really good at it mm-hmm. while people were doing like lines and like trying to draw a circle. I was drawing like full figured people with emotions on their faces so they asked me to draw ariel and flounder and sebastian and they were going to use it on the perimeter of the bulletin board as like it it, as almost like in my mind it was like oh my gosh it's like a book cover Mm -hmm. like this is like the presentation it was very big in my three four-year-old mind Mm -hmm. and i remember it being put up and i walked towards it and i looked up and i saw it and it was so moving to me. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did that. I did that. They wanted me. They liked me. And I was standing there for a little too long. And the teacher's assistant uh, got mad at me because I was standing there and looking at it instead of getting my stuff together and getting in line. Like she didn't even acknowledge that that was my artwork. Mm -hmm. She didn't say, you know, you're being conceited or anything like that. But Mm -hmm. in my mind, that's how I interpreted it. Like, let me, let me admire my, my art that I just did that I'm so proud of. Like I'm the only kid in class who got to do this. So I, I had a lot of moments like that where I would be asked to do something or complimented on something. Mm -hmm. But like you said, I wasn't, um, it, it wasn't like it wasn't kosher for me to like yeah hold or that you're space. in college and you're a freshman and you're getting roles so you're totally. moving ahead of people and totally and then having to kind of hide that hide your light under a bushel as they say yeah mm-hmm. and as women there's this, this weird thing where we it's getting better but we're not allowed to be more than one thing at once mm. and so I was all of the things and that instead of being something that I took a lot of pride in. As I got older and really when I went to college, it became this thing that I felt really, really ashamed for. Mm. So I wanted to get good grades because I, I didn't want to fail. <laughs> um, I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to get into shows and I wasn't really feeling comfortable in my body. So there was this this two part thing that happened where I, I started to create all of these rules for myself and I wanted to feel good, but at the very same time, I wanted to make myself invisible. Mm. So I, without even trying, I, I did lose a little weight that was intentional that, you know, just from a summer of Top Ramen a few too many times a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that just kept going and going and going because I told myself, oh, adults diet and adults restrict mm. and adults go to the gym and I'm going to be an adult. And the less people bothered me, the more I felt like, okay, well, I'm not one of them. So that's fine. Like, I don't want them to force me to, to join in this world that I don't even want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So I basically manufactured a situation to actively remove myself from it. Hmm. Yeah, that idea of like trying to make yourself invisible is such an interesting mm-hmm. and I think a narrative and a theme that, you know, has definitely come up in my life like again and again, you know, that I've had to actively like name and like force myself out of, mm-hmm. you know, whether it was like being sexually harassed at my job or, you know, even like in college, like being seen, going from a place where my looks didn't matter to then being at the university where 
it did matter mm-hmm. and people did project ideas and I was one of the only um it was one of handful of women in my in, in my program for digital media arts um and having that be a, a thing then that you had to think about and mm-hmm. you know am I going to like be invisible in like shy way or uh, thankfully I was watching like a lot of sex in the city mm-hmm. <laughs> and so my intention was to be like I I was such a weird college person mm-hmm. um but like I wore like three inch stilettos every day like I was like that girl awesome and like had pink hair and like I was just in my own little space which was probably a testament again to like going to high school in a place that I was allowed to be wherever I was at at mm-hmm. that moment college is a weird petri dish of people experimentation yeah. of cultures and backgrounds and beliefs just melding it's on one hand it's a nice little primer for the world because you're meeting people who aren't just from your bubble where you grew up and mm-hmm. have different experiences. But at the other time, you're at, on the other side, you're getting together a bunch of children, basically, who don't know how to navigate the world. Yeah. And it's just like college is chaos. Yeah. I was also drunk a lot of my I was also a mm. party girl. And I totally fit in fine in that narrative and that space of people going out and, you know, and I've been going out since high school, too. That was part of our culture. So, Mm. yeah, it's interesting, interesting too. I think one of the things that women I think we all go through this at some part in our lives is a time where we are both expanding because of what we're doing or what we're creating or the relationships we're building um, and trying to shrink ourselves at the same time Mm -hmm. because there's a real fear not only of you know of being big and of stepping into your roles and of being successful and finding those things that you've always wanted to achieve um but then the fear is like i don't want to buy into it too much and i don't want to well i think it's so based on like how other people will see it that's what i because like i don't post any of my press like on my personal facebook page like i made a public page so that i could post that stuff and if people wanted to see it they could but in my mind the narrative i created was like I, I don't want to, like, take up too much space well, here. we're told to be mm-hmm. grateful, and we're told to move on, yeah. and we're told to just keep working. And you mm-hmm. don't want to bug anyone. And you don't want to you know? celebrate anything, because then it's, like, oh, a yeah. little too scary. Yeah, God forbid you celebrate anything. <laughs> no. Yeah. You should just be doing the hard work, and it should be hard, or it's not valuable. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, a real mm-hmm. sabotage we get into. Yeah, one of my, I don't want to say resolutions for the year, but... I do these these things called planned freakouts that I talk about on the Wantcast and on Want, and there's a whole outline of how you can do your own planned freakouts. So you basically freak out before the freakout freaks you out, mm. and you write. How down, do you know the freakout is coming? That's the thing. You don't. It's mm-hmm. it's actually best to do a planned freakout when you're like, I don't need this. How often do you do it? I do it once a quarter. Okay. Ideally. Um, yeah, last year I did it once a quarter. So okay. I'm going to try and try and stick to that. I like doing planned freakouts when it feels like life is starting to get busy or if it feels a little too slow for comfort. Mm. But really you can do them at any time. You just don't want to do a planned freakout when you are actually freaking out because then that voice and that energy will hijack the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to be as objective as possible while also throwing yourself fully, I guess, emotion. you want to be emotionally unedited. Mm-hmm. So something that came out of that, basically you make lists of things you hate, things you dislike, and then you write, so what, you're, what are you going to do about it? 
then love, like, what are you going to do about it? A little more built out than that. But one of the big things that came out of that for me was that I don't ask for things. I don't Mm. ask for help. I don't ask for introductions. I don't ask for stuff that could be beneficial, like really beneficial to me and especially to my career. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot in the career space because I have this fear way deep down in the back of my brain of not being seen as, as a professional. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit of imposter syndrome there. And if I need to ask for help, then what's that other person going to think of me that Mm -hmm. I don't already know that, that I don't already know that person, that I need the help. Um, There's just like this whole narrative that is built around that. So in this new year, my philosophy is I am going to say fuck it. And I am going to think about it later and be in it now, ask for the things that I need say the things that I want and not feel bad about it um, and just be really upfront and give myself full permission to feel those feelings later. But it's not my job to feel those feelings right now. My job right now is to do my job. Yeah. I think that was one of my big lessons last year is I'm, I can ask for career stuff like Mm -hmm. till the high heavens, um, almost at an obnoxious level, but emotionally, if I need like personal help, that's that was something that was like a big takeaway for me was oh like I actually need like when it starts to feel like it hurts I need to ask for help immediately and uh-huh. not wait months and months after yeah um, it's really interesting I'm the opposite hmm. hmm well if you need ed- encouragement next time you're like oh should I make this big ass awesome if you, you need me. any emotional support I will be there for you yeah there you go and I checked myself this week too because I had a, a big meeting and my mom. Her, one of her best friend's mom is in the hospital and I knew she was really busy and I was like I want my mom's support but I know she's like you know she's busy and she has mm-hmm. stuff going on and I was like no you need help you need to ask for it so I reached out to you Diane I texted you I said <laughs> I'm nervous about this meeting I talked to my husband and I texted my family and was like you know going into this thing send me good vibes and my mom called me like it just and she'd made so much space for me which she always does Mm -hmm. and it was like yes this is a reminder that it's okay to ask for help when you need it Mm -hmm. and you need to act on it as opposed to like creating that like resentful space of like oh like nobody needs to worry about me you know what I mean it's like I don't need to be a martyr or a victim in this situation that's when like the regret comes in and then the self-doubt just builds up and up and up it's like it it doesn't I refer to self-talk like a language that you learn or a muscle that you can build and you can either build it up to be strong or you could build up the muscles around it so the actual muscle isn't strong Mm -hmm. you can learn one language or you could learn the other so all of those things that we tell ourselves, like they're all connected to the way that we talk about ourselves when we're not going into the into the big meeting, big interview, when we're not asking for help, asking for the introduction, like everything is interconnected. It's all one language that we're speaking. Totally. Well, something else that I wanted to ask you about is I know you just got married. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering how your tools and how your mantras and like how your spirituality, and this is really, you could not answer this or answer to, uh, to the I'm extent like that you. I'm like so open book. <laughs> but I, one of my things is I'm like constantly making Sal do like intention setting with me and like bringing him along on kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is really fascinating because he's in a totally different space. And I'm wondering kind of how you incorporate your partnership with your work and kind of what your vibe is on that. Uh, I call him my low-key Stedman. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, he, so, so Jeremy is a brand strategist, which helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is absolutely brilliant. And he is also a really emotional, and I, I don't mean like dramatic emotional, but mm-hmm. just very emotional, emotion-filled person. But the way that he is, uh, are you guys familiar with Myers-Briggs types? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's an INTP, which means that he is one of the most analytical oh types that there is. One of the most introverted and analytical. Mm-hmm. I am an INFJ, which is the most rare type, which is the most extroverted of the introverts and is one of the most, if not the most intuitive type. Mm. Um, so we balance each other out really well. I like to say, it was very sweet. My dad said this in his speech at, at our wedding because I said it to him once and he was like, oh, that's good. I said, are you, dad, are you using that for, your, for the speech for the wedding? Um, I, I say we don't compliment each other we enhance Hmm. one another. So I am a full person. He is a full person. And we make each other brighter. Mm -hmm. And in our relationship, we have been able to, I mean, we talk very deep. Like those were our first conversations that we had. Mm -hmm. That was sort of the precedent that was set at the very beginning. Um, And I love that he's that type of person. And I probably wouldn't be with him if he wasn't that type of person. However, he did come from an upbringing and a conditioning. And I just think um, it's a very male thing, like what we were talking about, about how men are conditioned in the world to act with their their body Mm -hmm. instead of their emotions and their feelings and their words. I was definitely the more outright, uh, vulnerable, mm-hmm. quote unquote, person. And he loved that space and he could relate to that space, but he had never really seen that it was a safe space to be in. Mm. So it's been really cool to watch as our relationship has uh, has grown and it'll be five years in June that he has become so, first of all, self-assured and so, so much more forthright with information and, and how he's feeling and what he wants and how he wants to get it and how he feels about it than he was when we got together. But we, the planned freak out thing, that was pretty much his idea to mm, do. Cool. And a lot, he's really good at putting systems to things. So mm. I think I call him my Stephen because I am, I am definitely the person who, I have the ideas, but I'm a very verbose person mm-hmm. and my ideas like live up in the clouds sometimes. He's really good at gently bringing them down to the ground and not sorting them out for me. He's been a little annoyingly <laughs> standoffish when it comes to telling me how I should be doing things. And I'm like, you literally do this for a living. Like, mm-hmm. tell me things. Um, but that's also something like I'm asking him for help now, which is great. Cool. But he ha- helps steer my ideas in the right direction. 
And I think because of that kind of partnership that we have when it comes to expression and emotions turning into words, turning into action, we, we set intentions. We talk about how we want to feel. We talk about, uh, you know, we pull cards at the beginning of the day saying like, okay, this is what, this is the word that we need to carry with us through the entire day. Like he's totally down with that. He sees it in a different way than I do though. Mm. He sees it from a more pragmatic analytical space mm-hmm. um, where I see it more in a, you know, I'm pragmatic, but in, in a little more of like a hippy dippy yeah, yeah. feely space. What are your signs? I am a Libra and okay. I am a Scorpio rising and a Leo moon. Okay. So very That's much a, about, yeah. It's a very intense combo. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I know. I told you, it's really loud in my head Yeah, all the time. It's funny. I know someone or I used to work with someone who is an astrologer. and What's his sign? He, oh, oh Jeremy? Yeah. Or this person that I used to no, work no, Jeremy. with? No, Jeremy. He is a Gemini. Holla. Oh, When's his birthday? June 16th. I'm June 3rd. Oh my gosh. And our anniversary is June 13th. Oh my god. Yeah, June is a very special June special holds month a lot for me. When's your birthday? May. May is special too. It's when we moved to New York. So there you go. There we go. We got it covered. Mother's, I was born on Mother's Day. Oh, all, happy Mother's Day to your mom. Yeah. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. That is weird. Diana, yeah. um, did Umer do any intention setting planning? He do you did. guys do any of that stuff? Yeah. So we were actually talking about it because um, we did the intention setting episode with Bethany Nicole Smith and mm. we uh, I was just like obsessed with it. It's the kind of thing I'm really into. And so I was kind of like, we've only been dating for about nine months. And I was like, this is just something that I'm going to throw out there because it's really <laughs> important to me. And I was like, okay, you're signing up for the crazy ride. Let's get into it. Mm. Um, and so yeah, he's been doing it kind of all week and he has this beautiful tradition that I guess he has been doing for about five years now where he dedicates himself to something every month and he does that thing every day for that month. Wow. So um, he'll do like a photography challenge where he'll take a photo every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Not necessarily post it anywhere, not necessarily do anything with it, but just like to practice or Mm -hmm. to express or to create. Um, He's doing a thing right now where he's not... He's not eating, he's not drinking, he's doing dry January, um, but he's like not eating certain foods just to kind of cleanse. And mm-hmm. like, it doesn't have to be food related. It doesn't have to be self-improvement related. It's right. not tied to that at all. It's just kind of a thing for him to focus on each month, which I think is really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's how you create habits, even yeah. if that's not necessarily the habit that you're looking to create. Like yeah. you get into the pattern of doing something which makes it easier to get into the pattern of doing other things. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's something that absolutely is at the core of his intention for it. So I'm more of the like setting goals, setting like resolutions. Like that's really the dreamy space that I love to get into. So mm-hmm. we're kind of bringing the two worlds together and he's doing more of that. Um, and I'm kind of thinking about what I could incorporate into my monthly challenge which is a new space for me so for sure well I think it is important like you know especially like when you're in a partnership with someone like in a full-time capacity like you're living with someone your finances are shared like it's important to like get on the same page and see like what's going on and where you're at totally what your goals are it's it's a pretty um I I found it to be very helpful I worry about people (laughs) who say that they don't talk like that in their relationships like Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you don't have to like go all the way to, you know, pulling a card every morning with a word on it, but Mm -hmm. you really, if you're, again, if you're living with someone, you're sharing your life with someone, if you are going to make big big decisions like buying a house or having kids or Mm -hmm. or what are your goals to get there yeah Yeah, exactly like it's just so important to get not just get on the same page because I don't think that you need to be on the same page on everything I think that that is a lie (laughs) about relationships yeah and it's like something that the that the wedding process taught me was that certain things that you think you want get really clear about why you want them like Mm -hmm. for me i started to freak out when our invite list i feel like i might have messaged you about this uh that it got a little too big and i was getting anxiety about it but i have a really big family and my dad has a lot of cousins who i love them all dearly i just don't see them more than once a year once every other year And I've been to so many weddings and you get so much advice from, you know, bridal blogs and magazines, bridal magazines, by the way, not my thing. There, Mm -hmm. there are a couple of them that are kind of cool, but that was another thing that I was like, oh, this is just sort of like your relationship with magazines in college. I was like, Mm -hmm. these are a bunch of magazines telling me what to do and who to be. I like to give a lot of unsolicited advice to people around wedding time because I had a horrible um, wedding planning uh, experience Mm -hmm. that I probably need to like blog about or like document in some way. But I think that's a it's like a fucking nightmare to spend that much money on one day and expect it to be the best day of your life. The expectations are already stacked against you. And then to get like all of the, you know, you should be in the best shape of your life. You should look a certain way. Like the pressure you get, I think as a woman, I remember texting my best friend before um, my wedding and being like, I fucking hate my dress. I want to burn it. It's not tailored to my body. Just the, you feel, and I think these are all totally normal feelings, but Mm -hmm. you, it's like unrealistic to expect somebody to, feel like they're stepping into that space, you know, with tons of joy. And I think, you know, that's where you want to be. And I will say the actual wedding was fabulous Mm -hmm. and it was filled with so much love. And I think the release of, okay, like the planning is over, thankfully. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think it's really hard on women. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry you had such a shit experience planning. I, you know, keep going. No, I, yeah, I did. I hated it. I hated planning my wedding and mm. I, and I was, and I was very honest about being in it at the time too. And I will say like my husband and um, my mother really did a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was making a movie and like, they weren't even allowed to call me during certain times. Mm-hmm. And we also did it, you know, as you guys did, like, um, I got married in Buffalo. And so like, I wasn't mm-hmm. there to like see vendors or talk to people and you know, when you email someone in New York, like they'll email you back like five minutes later. Mm-hmm. Like we're waiting for like three weeks. I didn't have a wedding planner. It was mm-hmm. like, it was a fucking nightmare and I hated it. Yeah, I I loved the process. I think that not being in LA was very helpful because when we were thinking about it, we were thinking about it and talking about it. Did when you we have a wedding we planner? Were, we had a wedding planner, which helped tremendously it also helped that she happens to be basically like my cousin i've Mm -hmm. known her since she was in kindergarten and i was in second grade Mm -hmm. um and i and i really trust my mom and she was there with the wedding planner has also is like is like my wedding planner's aunt like Mm -hmm. we have that family sort of connection so they would facetime me i saw 
things remotely. I talked to people remotely. It was when it started to get closer and closer and closer. And um, my life outside of the wedding started to get really busy. Mm -hmm. And my mom really wanted to talk about it all the time. And which is great. It was awesome. She was excited. And, you know, as you get closer to the wedding, there's all these little things to do that you don't even really realize that you have to do Mm -hmm. um and that you can't even really do beforehand like it's all these little things that you have to do at the same time yeah and that to me was really overwhelming Mm -hmm. I didn't not like it I was just overwhelmed it was just I'm a really good multitasker and I hit my limits totally It, it was it was craziness but like with the guest list my dad really wanted to invite the rest of the family it's not that I didn't want to invite them but I was like well I want to keep it small and intimate Mm -hmm. and when I really stepped back to think about it I was like well you can keep still keep it small and intimate and invite your family this isn't like he's fighting wants to invite his work associates that you don't even know this means a lot to him I think that Yes, the advice, it's your wedding, do what you want, is is good up to a point. But I yeah, think, I think that's like the first lesson is like yeah. your wedding is about your family. Totally. It's, a, it's about you, but it's also about a lot of other people. Yeah. And as far as parents go, like I'm not a parent, so I can't speak from experience. But I can imagine that it's a really... Uh, it, there's this this dichotomy there of it's it's a really exciting time ideally like sure. ideally you love the guy or girl or non gender specific person or you don't hopefully you do you love them but at the very same time there's this feeling of oh this is not my child anymore this is somebody's spouse like there's this this uh this grief mm, and that goes on. And I think that that needs to be respected mm-hmm. from the bride and groom standpoint. No, you don't cater everything to them, but just sort of taking in that there are other people involved in this too. Totally. And other people with other emotions. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah. And that can, I mean, I've seen too in friends that that kind of stuff with parents can get totally out of hand. Oh my gosh. Very yes. quickly. I've, yeah. I mean, I've heard And so emotions are story. high. I mean, everyone is invested and, you know, wants to be a part of it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was, we, I got married in my mom's backyard and mm-hmm. my mom and dad's backyard and she wanted to invite like the block. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> absolutely not. Right. And then she wanted to invite like, you know, 30 other people then like Sal's family. And I was like, no, we also like cannot do that. And it's such a, you're just constantly in compromise with like my vision with like everybody else's vision. Yeah. I think that the way that you handle wedding things though is very indicative of like how you handle real life. I think it can be when, when there's hard situations that come up, how you deal with them, um, I think that sometimes it can also show us parts of ourselves that we didn't realize existed. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good time to face those head on. I feel like I really was more of a delegator and I like kind of checked out of the whole situation after like the first month of it, honestly. So. But you're also a director. <laughs> like, so you directed well, and you, like let, a zillion you, hours. Let the, you let the crew do the wedding. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I also hated that like, 
my the time that I got to spend with my partner was planning. That was really the, yeah, the worst part. I think yeah. that I hear that's like that, for that my was friends, the worst. That was the worst because you're never not talking about it, and yeah. it's awful. Well, here's another thing that we went through is that I was the opposite. I was super hyper aware of not wanting every conversation to be wedding related. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to, but at the same time, I like didn't want to say yes to certain things without it being his decision too, because I think that it's a very bride centric day when you're in a relationship with a wedding with the bride and the groom. Like there's so much. I think that can also be a little bit easier though too, because my husband had an opinion about everything. And so we could not make a decision unless both of us, but it wasn't because it was like, instead of just (laughs) moving it forward and like, let's check it off, check it off, check it off. Like, do you need to know like what the silverware look like? He's an art director and I get it. And the vision is important, but it was like, great. So now we have to go through like it was a lot. We have an art a director and a director it. trying to put oh, together oh a No, basically, well, you have you have a writer. And then my mother just like screaming in the it's background. Like, it's like Jerry Brockheimer and Gore Verbinski <laughs> like trying to like figure this out. Well, in this one, you had a writer and a brand strategist. So we were like, basically, we want it to feel this way. We want it to have this vibe. Mm-hmm. But I also, I didn't want it to be like this bride, 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 my wedding, my mm-hmm. this, totally. my that. But I struggled with not wanting that to be the topic of conversation all the time. And I I was like, I don't know if I was acting weird one night or I had like a legit breakdown. And he's like, what is going on? And I'm like, well, like, I want to talk to you about certain things, but I don't want to drive you crazy. But I don't want it to just be my decision. And like, we were able to have a conversation about it. And it was mm-hmm. fantastic. I think just setting the expectations on how involved each person wants to be, what your must-haves and would-be-nices were. Like, something that we did that was really smart at the very beginning is we wrote down a list of, this before we had Sarah, my wedding planner, um, we wrote down a list of everything that we could think of that went into a wedding. Everything from the ceremony to the way that the tables looked. And he went, okay, here, he circled two things. He's like, here are the two things that I care about the most, that I have strong opinions about. Then he circled like five other things and he said, these are the things that I have an opinion about, but it's not really a strong opinion. Mm-hmm. And then he said, all of the rest of these things I have zero opinion about. I am totally apathetic. Like getting that overview from the beginning was very, very helpful. I think it, it set the tone for a very mindful wedding process yeah I did that a little bit too like the first month I picked my dress I picked the farm tables I picked the flowers and then I was out yeah I was like everything else sounds great you guys figure out the right. centerpiece I, you know there's a fantastic all this can can fit into the fort like this is the vision like I'm see you later there's a fantastic podcast that I found way too late like two months before the wedding it's called bride chilla so mm-hmm. if you don't want to be a bridezilla, you be a bridezilla. Also, this, this narrative that, like, women are monsters because they're making opinions and decisions. Like, I hate the bride narrative that, like, exists in the world. Yeah. It drives me fucking insane. Yeah. Like, the fact that we're going to, like, put this energy on women to, like, oh, don't be a bridezilla. I'm sorry. Are you spending right. thirty to $50,000 on a day? Don't you want it to be the way you want it right. to be? Right. Like, you're allowed like, to Are you out of your things. goddamn mind? Like, of course women are going to be bridezillas. Of course they're going to yeah. have opinions. Like, heaven forbid you just smile and nod through this whole thing. Yeah. It, that's insane to me. No. The, I hate that word. Yeah. It's it, it, the the host, Alicia. First of all, she also has an accent, so she just sounds, she's lovely to listen to. <laughs> um, she says that being a 
as she calls a bride chilla, is not about not having opinions and not caring. It's about being very intentional about what you do care about. Mm -hmm. And she did a great episode that she called uh, the fuck it bucket. And she said, the fuck it bucket is for the things that you have neither the time nor care to deal with anymore. Like, so for us... What was one of the things that went into the fuck it bucket? Oh, the, like, the cocktail napkins. Like, I don't fucking care what cocktail... Like, it, it, it blew my mind when I learned that people cared about cocktail napkins so mm-hmm. much. For me, I was like, no, I just, like, I don't want them to be a color that doesn't go with things, I guess. But really, I don't... <laughs> I don't care. This reminds me of a story that's not related to cocktail napkins, but we had it some bees underneath the bar, like a nest of bees in my backyard, oh my like God. just underneath, you know, where we were going to place the bar. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And just a casual hive. Yeah. Just yeah. like these are the things that would happen. All right. <laughs> and I remember we like put some like smoke bombs, you know, or we, you know, tried to exterminate the bees. Mm-hmm. And then I remember being at the wedding and at one point we were kind of just were like, we hope this situation is taken care of and it's not like we're not dealing with it. Like we're not taking it on. Like hopefully we're, they're dead. Um, so anyway, I remember just being like at the reception and just like seeing a bee. <laughs> oh no. And then you think it's going to be like, like in the movies well, where it's like, like the swarm comes Like up. there's nothing I can do about this oh, situation. Oh yeah. That was a thing. Oh boy. Oh, yeah. oh there my they gosh. go. <laughs> this swarm. Underneath are all like the sugar and liquor and oh, my gosh. you know, these two people. You could have made a lot of honey bartenders. cocktails. Yeah, I mean, I we mean, would be in real trouble, but it, I don't think anyone, you know, was affected by bees, to my knowledge, so. That's but if, good. But if you were affected by bees at Aaron Sal's wedding, we want to hear from you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So that's all of my wedding advice-ish, yeah. I guess. I don't know. Weddings are weird because then people think that you, like, know all these things about weddings, which you do because you've been immersed in it, but also, like. Yeah. Again, it was a day. It was fantastic. It actually did end up being one of the best days ever, but I think that part of it was because we weren't expecting it to be. Yeah, and I think it's kind of impossible to have, you know, when you have a party, this is advice that I got that I just kind of clung on to for dear life um, during my planning was that, you know, it's a party and you know everybody there and they all love you. Exactly. And there's no way you cannot have fun when you know everybody and they love you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, that's like a, such a fun way to think about it. And I think that also, you know, and I've seen with my friends, there's such a release that happens after the ceremony where you go, oh my God, it's over. And then you just, your shoulders drop and you're amongst all these people. And it's the joy that you have of like, it's fucking over. This is amazing. Like we made it to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I can finally spend time with this person. It just, there is such a huge release that happens. It's almost like euphoric. You can see it, you know, people just like totally their energy changes. Yeah. Um, and I think that was very true for us. And, you know. So, yeah. yeah. We did, we did a first look mm. with our pictures and I felt that moment after that not like oh my gosh it's over because really I think that I'm probably in the minority who was just like it was an awesome day like start to finish it was great I think that we had like the people most people think their wedding is awesome but like start to finish like getting ready hair everything 
I would even the planning. I know people like, who like can't was, even remember their wedding day. I remember everything. That yeah. was one of the things which makes me so sad because I'm yeah. like, there's a disconnect there. It makes me really sad when people say that they don't remember their wedding, that they um that they just wanted the entire day to be over. I'm like, well then why are you doing a party if you want it to be over? But we remember the entire day. We got to sit down, we got to eat. Um, I think that something that made a really big difference is that I I was the one who talked to all of the vendors mm -hmm. and I really chose people who felt like people that I would be friends with in real life. I can't believe you ate. That's amazing. I know. I know. And then I ate after too. I mean, sure. Come on. <laughs> we had we we had our cake and it was like a very small like one tier thing with Legos that looked like us on on the top. <laughs> Um, and so we took it back to the hotel after we were going to bring it back to New York with us. And it's like two o'clock and oh, we get silverware cake. from room service. And so good. I went to go cut it. And Jeremy puts his fork right in the middle of the cake and just like <laughs> scoops it out. Like he's scooping out ice cream. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, we're not going to take it home. I'm like, what are we going to do to like make this cake look pretty like why are we gonna make it look pretty as we're cutting it like just dig in yeah it was really really fun oh um God, but like the makeup person cake. she wasn't like the thing that she loved loves doing most is like dance gigs and and performances and i loved that and the person who did our pictures she has just a very moody vibe to the way that she shoots and like, and I love that. And I talked to her, we ended up being on the phone, just gabbing for an hour. Like I really, at this point in my life, I like surrounding myself, whether it's a wedding or professionally, you know, when I can, um, or personally surrounding myself with people that I really actually connect with on a deep level. I think that there's this idea that there's not a lot of those people out there. I think that, the reality is that most of us aren't willing to accept those parts of ourselves first. So if you're not willing to accept and then respect that part of yourself that really has standards of, you know, how how you live your life, how you connect to people, how you talk to people, how you treat others, um, you, you can't possibly make connections with people before you know exactly what it is that you connect with and really accept that within yourself. So, or even that you need that piece because yeah. that's something that I've learned about myself is that, you know, when I moved here, like you're just, you meet so many people and you connect to so many people. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it's really fast, almost like networking that happened mm -hmm. where I kind of entered into this like pre-made group of, of friends totally. and, and acquaintances. Um, and it was over the past like few months that I was like, just feeling really negative about it and feeling like I didn't want to go to things and feeling mm -hmm. like, you know, kind of antagonistic to my social circles. And it was my boyfriend who was like, what's going on? Like, this is not like you at all. Like yeah. you're like the type of person that's like, yeah, say yes, let's go to that thing. Let's see these people, let's do this. And I said, you know, I hate small talk. And mm -hmm. I, I don't come to places for small talk and I don't come to this world for small talk. And I feel like I've been small talking and yeah. I feel like it's I'm- so draining. Yeah, and it's like nothing against anyone per se. It's just, I, I took a minute for me to come back to that piece of me. That's like, oh, I, 
I actually need the deeper connection and I need Mm -hmm. to be around people who also value that within themselves. Totally. And I think that that was a really important learning curve for me. It was the first time I really had to like evaluate that part of me because before when I was in Calgary, I forged relationships with people who felt the same way. So it was easy. Mm -hmm. I was with like-minded people. But when you enter into the space like New York, where you're meeting just a ton of new people from all walks of life, you're not necessarily connecting over like-minded things. And Mm -hmm. so it was this interesting thing where I'm also one of those people where when I feel insecure and I feel low in myself, I lash out and I criticize Mm -hmm. and I judge other people because I'm judging myself. Um, so it was interesting to acknowledge like, oh, I feel drained because I'm actually not having the types of interactions that I, that fill me up. Right. That really energize me and really make me feel integrated. And it's totally fine to have those kinds of relationships with people and those kinds of conversations. But I know that I have felt the most uncomfortable when I'm feeling sort of like a square peg trying to jam myself into that round hole where it's like, oh, this is how these people are sort of going back to college. Like, yeah, I, I tried to fit in and I didn't. And so then I retreated mm-hmm. and um, I think it's okay to have those types of interactions in your life. As long as you recognize them for what they are, they're not good or bad. They just, they are what they are and you can't force people to be things that they're not. And you can't force them to be something for you that they aren't for you, you know? You need to go, if your square peg self needs something, it needs to go find its square peg hole. Totally. And And there might not be as many of them, but they will be way more fulfilling than just trying to have a lot of round round holes to try and fit in. Well, you feel like it's you, you know, and you spend, I've talked about this a lot with my mom, um, because she she sometimes talks about how she feels like she hasn't found her people her entire life Mm -hmm. because she feels like she was meant to be in New York. And she just didn't. Wow. Pat Matthews. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, yeah. Pat Matthews, come move to New York. I know. Any you day. Pat Matthews. <laughs> message to Pat Matthews. Oh my come God, Diana. I know. And so, so we talk about that a lot. And she's, she raised me and my brothers. She said, you have to find your people. If there's any other thing that's important in life, you need to find yourself and you need to find your people. Mm-hmm. And when you spend time with the wrong people for long enough, you think it's you mm-hmm. and you think you're the problem and you think that you're not inspired, you're not interesting, you're, you don't have anything to contribute, you don't have anything to say. And it's when you find the people that, you know, are like-minded, mm-hmm. you realize they, they are contributing the same things as you, or they're building upon something that you have thought about but haven't explored yet. And you just, you start to create that really, really beautiful connection that is community. Um, and so I, I think about that a lot is, is finding your people. And I don't remember how I got onto this tangent. Such a beautiful. <laughs> from the mouth of moms. Yeah. Got a beautiful thought. I love them. Does she come visit you here? Yeah, she came for Christmas. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. It was really fun. So she, she stayed in my visit. apartment. Yeah, she oh lived at Aaron's. Awesome. <laughs> she lived at Aaron's and took care of Lucy. It was amazing. Did you just move? I did, yes. New apartment? Old apartment? She Same building. In? Okay. So moved across the hall. Oh, that's that's I know. It's very new. Really hard and do. labor intensive yeah it was great oh that's awesome my easiest move it's the longest i've ever lived anywhere actually it's amazing isn't that weird wow awesome i love it yeah so katie the last time i saw you mm-hmm. was a year ago you had mm-hmm. just gotten engaged mm-hmm. and we were at an event you put together about activism yes and it was i mean it was basically so you what you were exploring through a panel conversation that you were moderating is how to remain emotionally 
well mm-hmm. um, and engaged without while being in activist spaces. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that, how that project is going, what your feelings are on that a year later, mm-hmm. um, and kind of where you're at. Yeah, it's been a really interesting process. I think that right after the election, so many of us were really, really fired up. We're like, we got to do something. We got to do something. And I, uh, so I hosted this panel called How to Activate Your Inner Activist and the reasoning behind it and that uh, whole project that I started was that I saw a lot of people sort of activist shaming other people saying, and I saw it a lot on Facebook really, to be completely honest, where people were not going to a march and they're like, oh my God, how could you not go to the march? Like, how could you not do this, not do that? And I I sort of liken it to changing your diet. Like if you want to eat healthier, most people can't go from zero to vegan (laughs) right off the bat, nor is that right for most people. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, let's explore how to actually engage where we're at right now because if we're trying to be this thing that's off in the distance like we'll never get there sort of like love your body love yourself you're beautiful you're smart you're not going to be able to get there and stay there if you haven't done the steps to actually get there they're called baby steps because they're kind of wobbly and you're kind of figuring things out you know so i wanted to talk to people who were in all different types of careers that all had something to do with activism. So artists, teachers, um, people in the wellness space. And I got a huge response from it, which was fantastic. And I will say that was right right after I got engaged. And so wedding stuff started to happen. And I did a a few interviews. And I think that, to be completely honest with you both, I got really overwhelmed with like oh so now should i be like this this like activist icon leader person Mm -hmm. and i got really scared by that and i was like well i don't know what to do with that like that's not that's not who i am that's not what juan is like do i need to like create a whole different business plan for myself it was very overwhelming because i wanted to do something so badly so my imagination started to run away with itself Where I'm at right now with all of that is I am really getting back to my roots and to wants roots and to what I believe can truly change the world because we can't change others and we can't change the things outside of ourselves if we don't change ourselves and we don't change the things inside of ourselves. If we are not just sort of like when you were saying that uh, when you start to feel out of place you start judging others. Like you're not judging others because there's something wrong with them. You're judging others because there's something that is unsettled within yourself. Mm-hmm. So we really need to start with that. So as far as as um, proactive activist slanted events, content, all of that goes for me and as far as want moving forward, it's really all going to come back to what are you doing to shift the perspective within yourself? Mm-hmm. How can you be empathetic in a different way? How, if this is going on and you feel X, Y, Z way about it, what kind of what kind of language have you cultivated within yourself that's maybe blocking you from 
moving forward from actually doing what you need to do. And something that I talk about a lot is what I call defining your through line. So it's not necessarily your, you know, your purpose or your mission. It's not necessarily career or trade. It's the common theme in everything you love and the common goal in everything you do. And so if you define your through line, so like mine is using or one of mine is using my unique voice to help others find theirs. So I do a lot of things. I said that, you know, I founded Want, but I also teach spin classes. And I'm also a manager at the place that I teach spin classes. And I also do acting gigs sometimes. And there's, there's a lot of things that I do, but they all fall under that same umbrella. I only feel overwhelmed or unsettled when I'm trying to do something that I'm not. And I think that most people see the thing, the march, the piece of art, the whatever that they think that they should create or that they they're like, well, this could make a difference, which is fantastic. And there's definitely something to be said about about jumping before you're ready and figuring things out on the way down. Awesome. But what I hate seeing is people trying something out and it not working out and they or they don't like it and so they just get turned off to the entire thing like people try and change the diet and then they go vegan for a week and they have headaches and stomach aches and they're like well this isn't for me and then they just go back to their regular diet of junk food or whatever like finding out what you actually feel love to do and what your goals are that can help inform how you actually like an athlete like how are you going to make your game plan you know not every game plan is right for every sport and not every game plan is right for every athlete you've got to play to your strengths i will say too like and i wonder if other people are thinking about this which is why i want to name it i think everybody is an activist right now totally i think the fact that women are existing and using their voices and you know, going to work every day and not yeah. like surrendering or they're resisting in whatever capacity. Um, so I feel like the narrative of like, it's too much or like to be like an activist leader or whatever, like we, that's kind of like a space where we're all doing in our work anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't like overwhelm or like, I don't want people to like not be moving forward in those spaces because they're constricting themselves based totally, on it. And yeah. it is a different... Yeah. Um, you know, that we've seen like within the movement and Diana, we talk about this, how sometimes it's, it turns on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be kind of a stressful place to be. And I think feminism has a lot of, you know, internal dialogues and conversations and things like that. But I don't want people to be afraid to, totally. to use that word or to move forward in yeah. those spaces. Well, you I know? Think it's, it's, and I don't want you, Katie, to be afraid. Oh, I want you I to step so into your not, activist. I am, I am, my activist is so activated and... I think that honestly, my where I started to get tripped up was that I saw so many people doing amazing things mm-hmm. that weren't necessarily things that I would do, but I started to think, oh, should I be doing that? Mm. Like we I, I think that I think that a lot of people who put the label on the importance on the label of activism are the same people who put the label of being a feminist. Like they think that that is one very particular box that you're supposed to fit into. Um, and they put more importance on the word than the actual actions of it. 
I mean, I think I think words are important. I don't totally. know. I think for I me, mean, I'm a writer. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it definitely varies, but the actions, um, you know, should be always thoughtful and always be in a place of consideration. We've totally. been chatting with you. I feel like we could continue to chat with oh you my for gosh. hours. I feel like I, I don't know. Has it been like three hours, two hours now? <laughs> Kent, you are a rock star over there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, where can people find you? How can we support you? Thank you. People can find me. The best way to find me is to sign up for the good word, which is wants weekly newsletter. Mm-hmm. And you can sign up at, the want website at womenagainstnegativetalk.com. If you'd like to reach me personally, you can email me katie at womenagainstnegativetalk.com. I also have the Wantcast, which is on iTunes and wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, You can hear a lot about Dream Girl on there and about uh, everything beaver related. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Katie Horwich. I'm also at women against negative talk. And those are the main places to find me. Facebook, shoot me an email. I'm teaching spin classes. Come say hi. Take a class. Oh my gosh. You two are totally coming. Yeah. Especially that I know that you record here and I'm right down the street. Yes. Let's do it. Totally coming. It's a party. Amazing. It's a party. We love you, Katie. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Bye, girls. Bye. Hey, guys. I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The The Bitch Bitch Seat. Seat the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!